Are they trending upward? Are they trending downward? And they have different strategies. So if they're trending downward, you may think about more of a discounting strategy than you would if they're trending upward. If they're trending upward, you might think of more of a, how can I encourage more purchases? How can I make that basket size larger? Um, But it's important to use the right pricing strategy with the right customer trend. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. I'm thrilled to have our guest, Allison Hartzell, on our podcast here today. Allison Hartzell you know, is the author of The Age of Customer Equity uh, and founder at Ambition Data, an analytics and customer-focused consulting shop. Allison, welcome to our show today, and perhaps you can tell the uh, tell our listeners about uh, your background uh, and your passion. Thank you, Jason. It's always a pleasure to be here. And I I think I have a somewhat unique background. Um, Not too many women in their 20s were part of a big venture capital play. And that's where I got a lot of my strategic background for what drives a business. And uh, after that first company that went big in the space, that company was called iSyndicate years ago, I then worked for a more tactical company that taught me a lot about digital analytics. And so I bring this unique perspective of marrying the strategic to the tactical from the sense of data, what pieces of data move the engine of business. Great. Uh, and thanks for that, Allison. And, you know, Allison, you know, for everyone's context, we were talking, you know, a few weeks back about, you know, these, these very topics. And, you know, at Simon Data, we spent so much time talking around the data, the infrastructure, the technology, rather. Uh, but at the end of the day, none of this matters if the you know, business priorities, the strategy, and the North Stars is going aligned. Uh, and this brings us to our big question today, um, which really I'll sort of, you know, frame in the following way. Uh, you know, today we live in a world where, you know, we're arguably overwhelmed by data. And with this, you know, this doesn't mean that you know, you know, we can't use data as a, as, as a tremendous asset, but more broadly, it, it really does you know, beg the question around you know, how should organizations actually properly set their North Stars and their strategy you know, in order to properly leverage uh, their, data, you know, their data assets and, and the true potential of uh, data in the organization. You know, so with this, you know, maybe we can sort of just start around this notion of uh, you know, customer equity and value. Today, we actually released our episode with Eric Huberman at Hawk Media. Uh, we talked about the data, um, you know, around customer centricity. You know, and this was really sort of a, a conversation uh, that 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 was relevant to to all brands around. Uh, if you want to be customer centric, you know, how can you think about customer LTV, CLV, CLTV, etc. Um, you know, and what are the right metrics to use as a best as a form of best practice? Uh, to drive your business forward. You know, but ultimately, you know, Allison, as, as you noted, uh, and we discussed just before the show, you know, customers don't care about their LTV. Uh, you know, customers care about the value their brands deliver. Um, you know, so maybe if we can sort of start um, you know, with you know, these notions of strategies that really drive the customer experience and really asking these questions uh, around customer value uh, and customer equity, how should brands be thinking about this? And what are, what are some sort of examples where you've sort of seen brands do a great job here? So let's start at the top with customer equity, since that's not a very common term and not everyone in your audience may understand it. For me, the way I define customer equity is it's a fundamental asset of the corporation in the same way that brand equity is an asset or operational equity, or maybe your supply chain is part of the operational equity. And so customer equity is one unique component that creates value across the business. 
And the way I like to calculate it is all the individual future lifetime values of the customer base rolled up create customer equity. So we're not talking about how much they bought yesterday. We're talking about the future potential. And in other words, if I were to buy your business today, what could I count on as revenue coming in? What's cool about that is if you run the math, you end up with a number and and it is a projection, right? You're talking about fractions of dollars. It's essentially a statistical guess. Um, But if you run the numbers, you essentially come up with all the value of the customer base in about 15 years. Uh, So projecting forward for time is 15 years. Once you have all that number together and you say, okay, here's how much I have in my customer base, I can then take customer lifetime value and use that as a North Star to drive that number higher or adjust that number or watch how it's rising and falling so that I'm not just drawing back a number to say, should I buy in this channel or that channel? I'm actually drawing back a number that says, if I were to sell my company today, what would it be worth? Could I take this number to an investor and say, hey, this is how much future value is in my base already. And here's here's how I'm capturing that value through the specific tactical moves that we're making. So that's the, the general promise and the structure of customer equity. Now you asked about specific examples and how do you take that and drive it through? So generally, one of the first examples, one of the first ways people use uh, this lifetime value is through cost reduction. Um, that's an easy place to start. It's much crisper to prove that you have reduced costs than it is to prove that your particular strategy has increased growth. So cost reduction tends to be the first place that most companies start with this. And what kind of, what spot in the organization has the most cost? Well, it's usually marketing uh, and marketing acquisition specifically. So we almost always see the very first applications of CLV around customer acquisition cost. Uh, Which customers are you acquiring? Are they good customers? Are they going to continue to be good customers? And what do those trends look like over time? Uh, That's where we start. Great. Uh, Yes, maybe if we sort of look at, take this question, maybe, you know, try to go a bit deeper. Uh, You know, for our listeners today, I mean, what sort of questions should people be asking around, am I acquiring good customers? Um, Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. does this high conversion rate imply that these are good customers? Uh, You know, should, you know, should folks be looking at what they're buying on their first purchase? What are the kinds of signals um, you know might be relevant uh, you know to you know someone who owns the acquisition budget or um, you know is really trying to you know, pick apart the acquisition strategy to really understand you know which kinds of customers uh, that I'm bringing on board are, are great and which ones aren't? Yeah, and I like to think about that a little bit like a diamond. There's all these different lenses that you can look at for customer lifetime value. So let's say that I'm going to look at it from a marketing purpose. In that case, I tend to cut the time a little shorter than 15 years because I want immediate purchases from my customer base, and I'm going to make tactical decisions driving those immediate purposes. So maybe I'll run my formula with two years or even one year worth of future projection. From that, I then look backward and say, these customers were acquired with what kinds of dimensions behind them? 
Um, it could be that they came from certain channels. If the lever that I pull relates to where I want to acquire the customer base. But what I prefer is actually to start in the product mix. Um, if you were to take customer lifetime value on one axis and then plot it against the profitability of the products on the other axis, you would be able to answer more interesting questions. So usually within an organization, a company will say, um, how much traffic do we get on a certain product? What kind of conversion do we get on that product? And is that product selling or not? Should we keep it? Should we let it go? Well, if you have about 3,000 products, that's a very important question because there's a lot of effort that goes into supporting those products, sourcing those products, marketing those products, content for those products, and on and on. But if you look at it from the customer lifetime value lens, instead of understanding just immediate conversion, you're now thinking about it in terms of, is that product part of a cluster? Is it part of a mix that essentially attracts high value customers? And this is exactly what Dollar Shave Club found years ago when they did this kind of analysis and they realized that it was a, um, it was a face moisturizer that was actually being purchased by their high value customer base and that product was driving the repeat purchases and it was also driving, it was, it was the anchor to the other products that were being sold alongside of it. So it was essentially the first product that drove customer lifetime value and then additional products were hooked on. So if you were to plot this in a diagram, you would see the top right quadrant would be your products that had high margin and high customer lifetime value. Conversely, your lower left quadrant would have low value and margin and low customer value. That's a much different way to look at your product mix and apply customer lifetime value. Now, then the question is, what are the other two quadrants, right? So top left are generally products with high margin that are not being bought by high value customers. Those are really great products to promote. And the other one uh, is products that are low value and bought by your high value customers. So low margin, high value customer. Those are products that are important to bundle. And with those, with that kind of data laid out in a very specific format, you can watch the trend over time. You can watch the movement of the products. You can see how the clusters change. And you can also determine with very strong quantitative feedback why certain moves should be made behind a specific product. That is also something you can trace into. Why should we promote that product? How much should we spend for customers who buy that product? So product is kind of the heart and soul, I think, uh, behind CLV. Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, I think any marketer with any real, with any amount of experience will you know, will relate to you know, great marketing starts with a great product. So 100% there. One question to ask here, and maybe to go a bit deeper is, ultimately, if you're thinking about the product and you're talking about margins, pricing is is, is a huge lever as well. You know, and I think, you know, for, you know, you know, for brands, general guidance is, 
you know, you really want to be aggressive on pricing around things where you differentiate, you know, and on on areas where or aspects that you know of what you sell that are are, are less unique. You know, don't be as aggressive and try to be much more competitive. You know, how does that guidance fit in in line with your your quadrant? And uh, you know, are there pricing levers that can also be pulled, you know, to sort of you know, magnify some of the strategies that you guys went through? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of AI when it comes to pricing. I do think that if you price your products just once and you assume all of your customers are basically in this big ball of customer buyers, then you're missing the opportunity for the heterogeneity of the customer base, which is the fundamental concept behind customer equity. And we see Amazon do this all the time where they tinker with their pricing up and down constantly. And the fluidity of that pricing is based on what did you look at? What's similar? What did you search when you left the site? And on and on. So for me, pricing levers are not something that are as much of a analytical lever as much as an algorithmic lever. Uh, And there are some companies that are out there that are really doing a good job with that. Now, let's say you're not ready for the algorithmic side, and you know maybe you don't uh, you don't have any tools in your stack that'll that'll do that, or you don't have enough information. If I were just going to make the basic cuts on the levers on the prices, I would always be very careful between the high value and the low value customers. For the high value customers, it's an emotional pull that you're after. You're not trying to price gouge them. You're trying to engage their hearts. And their minds and keep them long-term embedded with the company. For the low-value customers, it's about cost effectiveness. And this is where a company can price itself to death, right? So I have the wrong pricing for the customer base, and all of a sudden I'm discounting to death. That's a, a really great place to, to look. So I bring people in on a $19.99 shirt, but it's actually pretty close to cost. They never purchase again a full price item. They just want the $19.99 again and again. Well, that's not a sustainable company model. Um, and then the ones in the middle are the ones that we watch for the dynamic up and down. The Are they trending upward? Are they trending downward? And they have different strategies. So if they're trending downward, you may think about more of a discounting strategy than you would if they're trending upward. If they're trending upward, you might think of more of a how can I encourage more purchases? How can I make that basket size larger? Um, but it's important to use the right pricing strategy with the right customer trend. Yep. No, it's 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 a great point, and we actually see a lot of pricing tension, um, you know, in the market and, and within our customer base as well. And as e-commerce brands in particular, uh, you know, look to become more customer cent- you know centric. Uh, you know, oftentimes they'll find themselves in a situation where they have a whole bunch of inventory. If the alternatives are, uh, you know, to the inventory costs and leave the inventory unfulfilled, uh, mm-hmm. then the economics, uh, you know, can really afford a very low price, you know, to clear, uh, you know, the merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking at this from a customer perspective, uh, you know, you can damage the brand and you can really set behaviors in a way uh, that aren't customer centric. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you know, many companies find themselves in this conundrum, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they've accrued uh, too much inventory for good reason or, or, or not, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're trying to build a great brand and really focused on the customer centric aspects of things. 
Um, yet when they try to figure out the optimal price points, they're sort of stuck across two optimization functions. You know, which you know, you know, I think getting back to the you know head of of today's show, you know, from you know, if you're going to train a machine learning model, you know, you could train it in, you know, you could have two different you know ways of of optimizing it. You know, one to make sure that you optimize exactly one to optimize inventory costs, and the other, you know, to optimize your your CLVs. You know, and this is where I would always choose optimizing CLV because CLV is what keeps you in business tomorrow, right? And I and I know. So that sounds con- that sounds counterintuitive, right? So I want to optimize my yield curve for inventory and make sure that I can get as much back for what I spent in the first place. But if you do that, that's a short-term thinking um, process, right? And I'm, I'm short-term training every quarter, every Wall Street reporting metric, every um, every time I have a season. I'm I'm that's a short-term thinking exercise versus the long-term exercise of CLV. Now, should they be mutually exclusive? Probably not. You know, a, a business has to make certain tough choices sometimes, but I think having the North Star as CLV and then the yield is a lot different than the yield and then the CLV. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, I guess, yeah, you know, my point, you know, there would be exactly as, as you're saying, and just to sort of you know, clarify it, you know, the machine learning in the absence of a clear, you know, a clear strategic direction you know, could go either way. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, so it's really important that that, you know, that strategy in North Star is established and the, the machine learning can only be as effective uh, as the direction which is pointed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. Even with all our human faults. And, you know, it's interesting about pricing. And I, I should say, I'm not an expert on pricing, but I do know that there's an awful lot of human behavior that goes into that. Uh, and it's, and it's not as simple as, uh, you know, should it be $4.99 or $5.99? <laughs> Yeah, no, hundred percent, and and a big part of you know sort of our core beliefs assignment, and this sort of reflects in some of our capabilities in the platform, is really because this notion of you know running a longitudinal test. Mm. Um, you know, one thing that we've seen is that you know pricing behavior really can damage customer you know, orientation to brand and brand value and brand equity. You know, you know mm-hmm. to your point, you know, but you're not going to necessarily tell this uh, you know within a two week period when you're clearing out inventory. You need to be able to yeah. track people over time and seeing how the behaviors uh, actually affect. But your point about experimentation is a good one and one that should not be missed. And that as you do those experiments, when you draw it back into customer lifetime value, and that is your North Star, then you're constantly what I call racking and stacking. You're you're racking up wins and stacking them together to see what works in with which customer group. And I think it's important to constantly be testing, constantly be doing that experimentation in order to understand how has the market changed? Are we being sensitive to the market? And that's why your longitudinal comment is important because some people treat tests as, okay, we've learned it's not the red button, it's the blue button, now we know, but that's not the case, right? It's it's over and over again. So there's a place for longitudinal testing, and then there's a place for point testing, uh, and and the two have to continue to run uh, in in a logical um, holistic strategy. What I see a lot of companies do is they say, "Oh, we do testing," and and what they really mean is that they have run a test. But they don't really have a strategy, particularly a strategy that relates to customer value or to business value, backending that. And um, if anything, it might be a strategy related to creative 
should we spend more money doing this kind of creative or that kind of creative for conversion? So I would encourage people to think more deeply about it's not just conversion, it's the lifetime of the customer. Yeah, 100%. And, and really just thinking about you know, some of the, the key strategies as well uh, and the key strategic questions. You know, how aggressive can I be with discounting before it impacts the customer experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how should I think about uh, you know, pricing across you know, some of the, you know, across the four quadrants uh, you know, of my product SKUs. You know, and I think to the extent to which you know, organizations can develop a POV, you know, it can really you know, inform their, their, their testing strategies. And you know, I think to your point around you know, point testing versus longitudinal testing is well taken. Point testing is just relatively mechanical you know, in many ways. And, uh, you know, and it's, 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 closed, it's sort of closed form and you know, begins and ends with the test. Uh, and it's not that it shouldn't be done, you know, but it can be more disconnected from the broader strategy. Uh, you know, there's another point with your point of view uh, that I just want to call out because I think it's incredibly important and most people miss it, is that a point of view needs to be infectious inside the organization. It needs to go all the way up to the CEO and the management team. If that point of view has not infected the management team, then you really don't have a point of view in the company. You have one person's strategy or one siloed strategy. Yep, no, 100%. And, and, and sort of my, my role, you know, you're running Simon Data, I certainly think you're very deeply about, you know, not just strategy, but the culture that supports it. Uh, and this could be, I'm sure we could spend another two, three, four podcast episodes <laughs> covering just that, you know, but 100%. And I think, you know, it, it all sort of fits together, you know, with the right strategies and the operational, uh, you know, components that can leverage data to drive them, you know, with the, the right experimental methodologies, you know, which, you know, doesn't just include technical capabilities, but, you know, again, you know, the, the broader theses across the business that are, are open questions that, you know, everyone is asking across the board, you know, when it all comes together, it can work very well and, and really be transformative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the goal, right? A customer-centric transformation. Great. So I, I think, we're, you know, we're getting sort of close to the, you know, to the top of our time here. First, let me thank you know Allison for coming on our podcast today and sharing uh, your wisdom with us. You know, I, I think this conversation for me was great because I think it really sort of you know contextualizes you know, you know what I look at as sort of this next generation of, of data capabilities, infrastructure, and application. Yeah, you know, while technology uh, you know can be you know alone can be you know transformative, it really requires a you know a broader construct to be deployed. Uh, you know, we all know this, you know, but you know so often when it comes to the day in and day out. Uh, of our operations, it can sometimes be lost. You know, and I think going through these examples and, you know, Allison, you know, you know taking a step back and, you know, putting a bit of process and, and sort of frameworks behind it, you know, for me at least was incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, and Allison, I know that uh, you have a book on the market. You know, maybe you can sort of tell, uh, you know, you know, for our listeners, you know, how they can learn, get a copy of your book and, and really give, you know, learn more about sort of what you're up to today. Yes, the uh, the book is called The Age of Customer Equity, and you can find it on Amazon or anywhere that you buy books. You can also find it on my personal site, aheartso.com. I am uh, actually transitioning from Ambition Data, and I have a, um, have a copy of the audiobook actually coming up as well in probably this summer. I just finished recording that. So it's been very exciting to step into the thought leadership from all the different experiences that I've had over time. And I look forward to helping companies do better with their customer data. Great. Well, thank you, Allison. Uh, And thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata.com. 
You've been listening to The Data Unlocked. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.